morning. It's good to have all our visitors here. We do have a lot of visitors from out of town, some poor souls who had no idea I was preaching this morning. So, But it's been great to have uh, my family here in town. Um, and I turned 50 today, so everything's really making me feel old. Uh, my, my son is married. My daughter is a junior in college, technically. So really starting to feel the age catch up. But uh, it is good to have uh, all the family together. And I'm glad people here had a chance to have their family with them this last few days as well. So for better or for worse, comic books were a big part of my childhood. Um, had a had a big uh, influence on me as I as I grew up. My brother and I were just absolutely obsessed with comics. Um, my dad was a big comic book guy back in the '60s, I guess, early '60s. He was a, a big comic book guy. Um, my brother and I were big comic book guys. I know one week, a uh, few, a couple years ago, I know three or four years ago, my daughter went garage sailing with her aunt. Guess what she came home with? Comic books, right? So. It does run in the family. We get it honest. Uh, when my brother and I were, I don't know, in our early, early teens, uh, we, we got paper routes. And the reason we got paper routes is because we wanted to buy more comics, right? So if you ever wondered how many comic books in a week, on average, you could buy in 1983 on a paper route um, salary, if you will. It's 14, by the way. That's the answer. But we had, we literally had thousands of comics between the two of us. We read all these stories about these amazing heroes who made big differences in people's lives. And I, and I think a lot of mainly, mainly boys, especially back in the 80s, I and a lot of other boys wanted the power to do something special. We would, we would see these stories, these people flying and doing these amazing things, and we wanted to be special too. But I am no longer a 12-year-old boy who dreams of having superpowers. Now I'm a 50-year-old man who dreams of having superpowers. My wife can verify this. She literally wakes me up from dreams where I'm flying because I'm having superhero dreams. So it's, it still has an effect on me. Um, it's, it's still, I enjoy uh, the stories and things like that. Um, one of my favorite stories that actually really came about after I stopped reading comics, but I heard about it, so I had to go check it out, was a story that was put out by DC Comics. Right, so, just for you uneducated people out there in comics, there's DC and there's Marvel Comics. Right? Those are the two big main comic book publishers. Obviously, Marvel is the best of the two, by far. Um, if you do disagree with me, we do have conveniently located exits that you can use at any time. But I really enjoyed the Marvel Comics. But DC had a really cool story at one point, and it's in what they call an alternate reality, which is ironic because comics aren't a reality. But there is an alternate reality. Everybody knows who Superman is, right? Like, everybody in the world knows who Superman is. Well, in this story, he was tricked into killing his wife, um, Lois Lane. They were married uh, in these comics. And it really drove, I'll say, drove Superman insane, okay? Uh, It drove him to do things that he had never done before. He said, you know what? I'm sick of all the evil in the world. I'm sick of people doing evil things. Uh, I'm going to take over the world. And all these bunch of heroes joined him, and some heroes were against him. He said, I'm going to make the world a better place. I'm going to change things. I'm going to take away their ability 
to do evil things. I'm going to go take away their guns, and then I'm going to go take away this, I'm going to go take away that. And at one point in the comic, he was kind of having a debate with a character called The Flash. Now, The Flash is my favorite character in DC Comics. He's the fastest man alive, so it's obvious why you know he's my favorite comic book character. We'll stop there. But So he was having a sort of a debate with the Flash, right? And the Flash finally kind of made the point, if you merely prevent evil people from doing evil things, you've really changed nothing. Because those evil people are still going to be evil, and they're going to find a way to do evil things that they want to do. So all these dreams I had of, of really making a difference in people's lives by having these superpowers, kind of the point was, and this is kind of uh, the, the Flash's big point, is in the big picture we're really not changing anybody's lives because we're not really changing people's hearts. Okay. Um, now, let's consider God for a minute, which obviously we should do since this is what we're here for. God has all the power that he could ever want. Superman didn't have the power to change hearts, right? He could literally stop people from doing things, but he couldn't change anybody's heart. God does have the power to change people's hearts, but then is he really changing their hearts? If he's taking away our free will, he's not really um, changing our hearts. He's just basically forcing us to do things that he wants us to do. But that's not what God wants from us. Uh, He doesn't at the, 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 the big goal for God is that God wants our hearts. He wants us, out of love for him, to do the things uh, that he wants us to do. God doesn't merely want us to not do evil. And God doesn't merely want us to do good things, because that's what we're supposed to do. God wants our hearts. Let's go to Romans chapter 6, verse 17. Romans chapter 6, verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. He wants us to obey because that's what our heart leads us to do. Um, He doesn't simply want to take away our ability to do evil. He He wants to take away our will, our desire to do evil. He wants us to give him our hearts. And the real power that we have is we can have a part in this process. So I can't fly. I I don't have super strength. I can't do any of those cool things. But those people who did cool things in the comics and saved people's lives, you know what? Years down the later, those people still died because those superheroes couldn't prevent death in the long run, right? We can have a part in preventing death in the long run, though, by helping people uh, to change their hearts. We have that type of power. Now, I don't want to overstep our abilities, all right, because we know the power is within God, right? But let's look at the definition of power, at one definition of power, and I want us to see what I'm talking about this morning. Here's a definition of power. A capacity or ability to direct or influence the behavior of others. We all have the capacity to influence people. And we can influence them in one of two ways. But we have that ability to have an impact on people's lives. 
I'm not asking us to take the credit for changing hearts. I'm asking us to take our part and responsibility in changing hearts. God has always worked through people to affect these changes. Um, he's always used people to do his will. Um, he doesn't simply want us to tell people how to be better people and how to change your hearts, but he wants us to have an active part in changing people's hearts and changing people's lives. We can do more good than any fictional superhero has ever done because we can be a part of eternal changes in people, changes that will lead them to God and will be part of eternity. We can be a part of changing hearts. There's God's part. There's the duty of what I call the target heart, the heart that needs changed, and it starts with our heart, right? We have to change our hearts before we can really change other people's hearts. But we have a part in that process, too. Uh, and this is the last thing I'm going to mention about comics. Right? Uh, but in the comics, there were some characters who were avatars of a higher power, or they were agents of a higher power, okay? So they were given power by this great being to go and, and do their work and things for them. So we, too, can be an avatar or agent, in a sense, for God to do his work on this earth and affect much positive, long-lasting change in people by using our power that we have, and that's the power of influence. But first, I want to look at what a godly heart or a Christian's heart should look like. And uh, to me, a verse that really sums this up well is found in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, we'll read verses 12 through 14. But this, this whole section here is about becoming a new person, right? We have to put off the old person. We have to become a new person. I think it was a couple months ago I, I, I preached here, and I talked about how Jesus didn't come to you know, tinker around and fix a few things here or there with us. He came to help us do a complete overhaul. And when I look at this section in, in Colossians, this is talking about a complete overhaul. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So what I want to do is briefly look at some ways that Jesus didn't just tell us how to be a better person, tell us what kind of heart we need to have, but he showed us what kind of heart we need to have. Let's go to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 and verse 13. We're going to look at three quick examples and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. And then we'll go over to Matthew chapter 15. And verse 32. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am willing to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And then we, if we read on, we see how Jesus fed thousands of people 
uh, miraculously because he had compassion on them. And let's go to Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 through 17. Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 through 17. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And, of course, he did this in much more of a a huge, big-picture way on the cross, but he was doing that even before that point. I want to point out here, Jesus did a lot of signs and wonders, and many of these he did in order to show that he was Jesus Christ. But so, these are just a few of the examples that we read of. So many times it says the reason he did these things was because of the compassion that he had. It wasn't to prove anything to anybody. But he had that kind of compassion for us, uh, for, the, he has, for those people, and he has that compassion for us. He went above and beyond. He, he could have done many other things to prove that he was the Son of God. He could have done you know, really cool tricks that nobody had seen. And of course, they wouldn't have been tricks. They want to trivialize it. But he could have done things that nobody had ever seen that wouldn't have helped anybody. But most of the things that he did were helping people because of the compassion that he had and the kindness that he had that talks about in Colossians chapter 3. If we want to talk about humility, well, we, we would be here all day talking about the humility of Christ. What about the life that Jesus lived on this earth wasn't humble? Just the fact that he was, is, and always will be God, he came to this earth and put on the form of man. That's humbling. He's the creator of our universe, and he took on the form of man. He was part of a family that was probably a poor family, definitely not rich, maybe perhaps lower middle class. So he wasn't brought up in a palace. Uh, He didn't have a mansion to sleep in every day. He was from a town that nobody respected. He was from Nazareth. I mean, that's humiliating to be from Nazareth. All the things that he went through throughout his life for us, I've never seen anything more humble or read about anything more humble in my life than what Jesus did in his life for us. So, Jesus is one of those people, is, is that one person, I should say, who could have come to this earth and said, you know what, I deserve better, and I'm going to have better. And he never did that. That, to me, is extreme humility. And then being allowed, allowing people to place him up on a cross, which is the most at that time, the most humiliating death that you could have. So, Jesus didn't just tell us to be humble. He showed us how to be humble. Because if Jesus can allow himself to be humbled, we should be able to allow ourselves to be humbled. Because Jesus never deserved anything bad that ever happened to him. And all of us have committed some sin in our life, and we could argue that we have all deserved... uh, not directly the bad things possibly that happened to us, but for example, I'll just say, um, if, if Aaron was to come up and, and slap me, you know, I could say, you know, Aaron slapped me for no reason, right? At that time, maybe I didn't do anything to Aaron, but I've definitely done things in my life where I deserved a slap, right? Um, one time, uh, I remember, uh, this, is a, this is a long time ago, and if my mom's listening on Zoom, I don't know if she remember this, but she thought I said something, and so she turned around and slapped me. I said, that's not what I said. She's like, 
Well, that's for the times that you probably said something I wasn't there to slap you then, right? So, you know, we all deserve bad things in our life because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus did not, and he was humble nevertheless. Let's talk about how gentle Jesus was. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Matthew 11, excuse me, Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And let's go to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 5. This is speaking of a prophecy that was made about Jesus. Say to the daughter of Zion... Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, some versions say gentle, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. We can also see throughout many examples where Jesus was gentle with those who probably you know, should have known better. Uh, why do I say gentle? Um, even though sometimes Jesus did reprimand people. Remember, Jesus is God. Think of what Jesus could have done in some of the cases where people were oppressing him, were accusing him of things that they had no right to accuse him of. Think of what Jesus could have done. And I think we can see that Jesus was very, very gentle. He had, has all the power in the universe, yet he is as gentle as a lamb when dealing with his children. Uh, this kind of goes along with patience, too. Let's go to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 26. And when he got in the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O ye of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? In Matthew chapter 9, verses 3 through 7. Behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing the thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And this kind of does go along with the gentleness that Christ showed, because he was very patient with people. Um, He had a mission to do, um, and his mission was to give everybody the opportunity to have forgiveness of their sins. And even these people here at this time who were accusing him of things and blaspheming him, he was patient with them. He could have struck them down. He could have done what he had the right to do that, and he had the power to do that. But he was patient with these types of people. And if we go to Luke chapter 23... Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Verse we're very familiar with to show the forgiveness of Jesus. 
And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive who? The people who were crucifying him. The people who were standing there cheering as he was crucified. Jesus didn't wait for them to be sorry to forgive them. Now, we're not talking about absolution of sins here. I believe this is on a personal level. Jesus was showing that we should not hold bitterness in our hearts towards people, even if they do us wrong, even if they don't apologize for doing wrong unto us. But Jesus set that example. And in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, to me that just gives a, a, a wonderful, kind of concise, comprehensive view of what a Christian's heart should look like. And that's what our goal should be, is to have that kind of heart. Because if God has our heart, like the heart that is being talked about in Colossians, and we have an understanding of his truth, God has what he needs. The obedience will come. If we've got the right heart and we have the truth, the obedience is going to happen. Um, it'll be a product of a heart that is, is godly. And so... When we have that kind of heart, we can perhaps be that example to others like Jesus was to us. We can spread that example. Think of Stephen when he was being stoned uh, by people. He said, forgive them. He, he, he didn't want to hold bitterness in his heart toward those people who were killing him. Right. So when we think we have it rough when people are treating us rough, um, you know, we need to consider that. And the example that we set toward those people. Um, Stephen looked to the example of of Jesus and what Jesus did. That had an influence on Stephen and gave Stephen strength in that time. So we need to develop the kind of hearts that we should have so that we can have that same kind of influence on other people. Let's go to Luke chapter 6, verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit that is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And then let's go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, starting verse 14. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And, you know, this is one of those things that the world talks about a lot. But how often does the world show it? Um, if we as Christians 
show these Christian qualities that have been talked about, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness. If we only show those qualities to people who deserve to be shown those qualities, they're not Christian qualities. They're worldly qualities. It's exactly what the world does. It's easy to be compassionate toward people who are compassionate toward you. That doesn't make you Christ-like. What makes you Christ-like is when you're compassionate to people who hate you. And that's the tough part. And I tell you, these are all tough things for me. You know, like I said, I'm 50 years old. I'm still trying to learn how to be nice to people who are not only not nice to me, uh, but down, downright spiteful toward me. But it's easy to show these qualities to people who we feel deserve them. But what we need to remember is that none of us deserved what Christ showed to us. None of us deserved that sacrifice that he made. So we shouldn't think about whether or not people deserve for us to treat them in a certain way. It doesn't matter if they deserve it or not. Christ deserves for us to give our hearts to him and try to be more like him. And that means that we will show these quality towards everybody, not just those that we consider good people. Evil people or people who do evil things can be influenced to change. Who was standing at the uh, execution of Stephen? Paul was. And I have to believe that that had a big influence and big impact on Paul. Later on, of course, uh, Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, and Paul underwent some drastic changes. But I have to believe that as Paul lived his life, and as Paul encountered things that probably weren't fair to him, he probably remembered how he stood at the, at the death of Stephen and participated in that execution, and Stephen didn't deserve that either. So if we exemplify the qualities of Christ in the tough times, that's what's going to have an impact on people who we may feel don't deserve it. But again, neither did we. So when somebody wrongs you, do you tell them to be a better person? You say to yourself, you know what, this person keeps doing these things. I mean, I keep telling them they need to be a better person. Or do we show them that they need to be a better person by being a better person ourselves? Oh, they, I was... You know, I was nice one time when when they were mean to me, but it didn't work, so I gave up. Well, we have to keep being nice sometimes. And again, this is hard for it's hard to be nice to people who aren't nice to you. But we need to keep repeating the process and we need to keep doing it, knowing that perhaps it might not make a change on them, but it will make a positive change for us. It'll make us more and more like Christ by being nice to the people who aren't nice to us. And we need to remember that changing hearts does not happen overnight. Um, Becoming the types of people we need to be is not something that's going to happen in a night, in a week. It's going to be a lifelong process. And God is patient with us, so we need to be patient with each other. And remember that we didn't deserve the patience that God extended to us either. It's a short lesson. I kind of designed it to be that way. Um, I want to thank everybody for being here and want you to know that 
We all strive here to help people, help each other be the people that we need to be. And God does want your heart. It starts with getting rid of your sins through the waters of baptism, but it does not stop there. If you want to be the type of person who has the power to influence people, you can start that journey with us. Be an example to people. Have your sins removed. Um, Appreciate the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and start a lifelong journey of change. Will there be hiccups? Probably. But we've got people here to help you get back on course if that's what you need. And if you have gotten off course and you haven't been setting the type of example to the world when they're not quite so nice to you that you should be setting, we're here for you as well to try to help each other become the type of people that we need to be. And we offer you that opportunity as we stand and as we sing.